0: and your love for others would be seen and heard. So, well, hey, uh, why don't you join me in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Let's start can good, rare find. Maybe you like thrifting, and uh, you like to find rare things that... Uh, that uh, you know, get, you, get your fancy going um, that are worth a lot these days. So, check this out. Uh, they're out there. There are 20 Luke Skywalker figurines uh, from 1978. These are rare. There's only 20 of them in the whole world. And they're each worth $25,000. So, don't go throwing away your Star Wars figurines. If you got one, 25,000 bucks. These days you could buy your groceries with that, right? (laughs) Um, If you have any Hot Wheels in your house, okay, there is a Hot Wheel out there, 1969 Volkswagen Beach Bomb, okay? If you have that, don't throw it away. Look in your kind of drunk drawers and big things because uh, they didn't produce a whole lot of those, they, they made them a little bit too big for the tracks that they run on. I know you guys got a little, some Hot Wheels, okay? Check it out, okay? One of those, 125,000, because they're so rare, okay? 125 grand, okay? Some of you like to decorate your living rooms um, and give it a little bit of a vintage vibe with old cameras. Old cameras are worth a lot these days. Uh, It's the lens, actually, that's worth a lot. It's made of brass, and that part of the camera can sell for over two thousand dollars. So, so don't throw away stuff. And if you're thrifting, if you find a camera, uh, you know, and in the thing, there is one thing that you do not want to have rare in your life. Besides, that'll mess you up. Okay. (laughs) The one thing that you do not want to be rare in your life is the Word of God. So today, uh, the message is called Rejecting Rarity. And we're going to look at this text, um, and we're going to see that God has set this for uh, the readers of the original audience and for the church today, uh, so that we would not reject the Word of God in our life. Uh, Look at me for a second in this text. Let your eyes fall upon verse 1 with me. I'll read it again. It says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was what? It was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. And let your eyes go all the way down to the next chapter of uh, of chapter 2. It says, and the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. So we've got the top, we've got the bottom of this text, both talking about the word. One started rare, and there was something that happened in this story where the result was that the word was common in all of Israel. Okay? So our task today is this question What happened? What happened in this story that would make the word common in Israel? So let's find that out. There's three characters involved. We've got God, we've got old Eli, and we've got young Samuel. Let's go ahead and look at um, how Eli is described. Meet me in verse 2 now. It says, At that time... Whose eyesight, at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying. So, as David said, early in chapter one, we meet Eli, and he can't recognize with his spiritual eyes genuine people walking with God. Remember, he looked at Hannah? That must be drunkenness. I can't recognize a person who's actually pouring out her heart to the Lord. And now we see in chapter 3 that his eyesight is growing dim. And so we've got his spirit dim. And he's telling us, you know what? The author's communicating to us that this guy from beginning, when we met him till now, he doesn't love the Lord, doesn't walk with the Lord. And, his, and narratively, both spiritually and physically, this guy's losing it with his eyesight. It says the lamp of God had not yet gone out which is telling us the time of day this is probably before dawn uh, the lamp of God it was placed outside the veil before the most holy place where the ark was and it burned every day morning until evening and so what we're seeing here is that Eli is struggling to see both spiritually and physically and there there we have our Samuel And this is the part of the story where everyone loves and remembers. So Samuel, he's sleeping in the temple and he hears his name called out. Samuel, Samuel, right? He wakes up, he runs to Eli and Eli goes, go back to bed. Samuel, Samuel, he wakes up, he runs to Eli, was that you, Eli, was that you? No, it's not me. If this happens again, it's probably the Lord. And so answer it like this Hey, I'm here, Lord. Talk to me. Your servant is listening. And so God says, Samuel, Samuel. And he, uh, uh, Samuel says, I'm your servant. Talk to me. Like, what, what sort of message would you have for me? And so there's a description in here in verse 7. That I want to highlight. Look at it with me. It says, now Samuel, this is prior to him receiving the message of the Lord, still communicating with Eli and trying to figure out what's happening. Verse 7 says, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So this statement, friends, um, it is it is one that explains, not blames Samuel. In the last chapter, we, we met Hophni and Phinehas. And it said the, the same thing about them, but it's different. It said, Hophni and Phinehas did not know the Lord. Remember that from last week? But we learned that it, it, they had no regard for the Lord. They did not know Him. And this one is different because Samuel had not grown. He had not experienced direct revelation from the Lord. He didn't have... He didn't. He was different than Hophni and Phineas. This whole thing of communicating with the Lord was new to him. So just a quick story, okay? Um, I remember taking Greek in seminary. This is 2006 to 2010. And man, it was tough. Crazy language, very hard, okay? Up to that point, I took four years of Spanish in high school Two years of, of German in college, one year, uh, one semester studying abroad in Italy, and two years of deep immersion in the language of Swahili in Tanzania. Yet, when I got to Greek, I was like, "I don't understand how languages work." I could greet here and there, I could order food, I could talk, I could listen, yeah, but I didn't know how they functioned. I didn't know them deeply. I was a little bit offended, not really, but I was like brought back, well, like when I showed up to class the first day, and the professor dumb by a little book. It was called English Grammar for Dummies, and it was like, are we taking English? Or are we taking Greek? And I learned more about how the English language, like um, all these new terms that I wasn't familiar with. Remember last week I told you I grew up in a locker room, and so I wasn't familiar with with diagramming sentences. I wasn't familiar with with terms like infinitives, split infinitives, simple past progressives, present progressives, simple future participles and genitives, semantic force of demonstrative. I didn't know aorist tense. I didn't know any of that, right? You get the idea. All of that was like a foreign language to me, even in English. The point is this. It really took time for me to understand and really know the language. Not only Greek, but it took a lot of time for me to know English. And at that time, I was 26 years old. I thought I knew English. And it's similar for Samuel right here. Because we get a a glimpse of the character of God and how He is patient and He works with His people. You don't get the image here that God is with a stopwatch timing Samuel saying, hurry up already. You should have gotten this by now. You've been sleeping in the temple. You've been serving Me. Why aren't you more mature? We don't get that tone from the Lord. We get a a patient tone with us. Question, hasn't the Lord been patient with us? Has He been patient with you? I know He's been patient with me. Even this week, He's been so patient with me. And friends, this should foster a deep patience in your heart for others. As you watch and see how the Lord works, not only in this chapter, but throughout this book. Look at that third time again. The same thing. Eli, again, he pulls Samuel aside. He says, hey, if you hear him again, speak for your servant hears. And then the word of the Lord is revealed to Samuel. Um, I know you've read it already, but do you think it's good news or bad news for Eli? Let's read it together. Meet me in verse 11. and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Bad news for Eli. The decision for Samuel has to happen now though, right? Should I tell Eli or not? of this chapter, and in verse 16, circle how Eli says to Samuel, my son. Two times in there. It bookends this chapter so as to say that Samuel and Eli have a fond affection for each other. They love each other. They're they're together in the temple. And so this highlights the tension that Samuel the prophet feels is the prophet going to bring about the word of God or is he going to trim his sails is he going to give him just what like is nice to say or is he going to give him actually what God says so it highlights not only the prophet's call but it also highlights in terms of what the man of God the pastor is to do to, for his people. And it also highlights what the people of God are to do as it relates to their calling to the world. Am I, are we, going to give people the very words of God? Or we, will we, by fear, by intimidation, by a desire to be liked, will we trim our sails? In this case, this true prophet must give the true words of God. And for us, this task that we've been given by the Lord, uh, it really can't be measured in terms of joy. It is, it is a life worth living and dying for. It's worth taking a bullet for. It's, it, this is the purpose that fuels the believer, the, the follower of Jesus. Like, there's no greater way to spend your life. Yet, it's kind of scary, isn't it? Telling people the truth. Every believer, uh, according to Ephesians 4, is, is called to be kind. To be kind to one another. To, um, to have grace. And often receive that commandment as... as uh, I, I'm called to be... Nice dot 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 I'm called to, to deliver niceties to everyone and we trim our sails and don't give people the truth of God's word and what it says uh, Andrew Bonar uh, he, he has this book um, it's on his life and it's all his, his journals and prayers and thoughts um, Banner of Truth puts it out um, he gives this great illustration about this artist that painted a picture of a, a, a small boy on his head carrying a big basket of grapes. Uh, and um, once this painting was finished, it was brought to the market, and everyone um, was, was like laughing and admiring this painting because birds were, were swooping on down and pecking at the painting because the grapes looked so real. It was so attractive. It was it was amazing that the grape, uh, that the birds just just wanted to eat the grapes. Listen to the reaction of the painter, okay? Cuz they were given impression. I should have done a great more deal. I should have painted the boy so true to life that birds would have not dare come near. What's the lesson? He should have made this painting both attractive and repelling to the birds, making the grapes so beautiful, yet the boy so real that they would have never came. And this is, in a way, how the Gospel functions. This is how the Word of God is a double-edged sword. It attracts and it repels. And friends, catch this. It attracts and repels All the right people. And so what are we seeing? We're seeing, even in this story, this Old Testament story buried in the pages of our Bibles, the truth that if you want to follow the Lord as an individual and be used by Him in other people's lives, or if you want to look for a church if you want to be a part of a community that follows Him wholeheartedly, the truth of it is this, that is faithful to it, that it must involve both formative teaching and corrective teaching. So let let our expectations of what it means to follow the Christian life, to be a Christian, let it be this, that we must be willing to both admonish teach, and to encourage and not to correct let me encourage you that you will be received as a phony in this world and you won't be trusted if you're committed to only correcting and not encouraging you'll be viewed as a jerk (laughs) and so we must we got to be balanced we got to be relational we've got to we have got to be we got to be in tune with the holy spirit on when and how to say the things that are most needed it takes utmost carefulness and a life of prayer and life in love let me read to you 1 Timothy 5 this is bringing in the new testament paul says the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart a clear conscience and a sincere faith. Amen. Can we swallow that pill together? It's a good one. It is sobering that th- those truths are what is best for our church today. Why? Because, Christian, um, God is entrusting you with the message of the gospel, and this message is a matter of life and death, heaven and hell. Let's continue with our story. I love how this story comes to an end, okay? In verse 19, it says that Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. I love that verse. That's a great prayer uh, for our lives. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, and the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord and the word of samuel came to all of israel and there it is that's the difference the word being rare to the word being common it was twofold that god revealed his word and the prophet was faithful to share it if you could just like hear one thing today it would be that that's, that was the difference of this passage that God's revealed Word was made known, God revealed it. I love this passage. I, I, just, I couldn't wait to preach this passage to you. This passage, it, it begins to fuel and spark this, this messianic desire and hope in our hearts. It did for the original readers. It should for us today. Uh, what do I mean by that? Um, Chapter 1, we saw that Hannah prayed. uh, Actually, chapter 2, verse 10. That she prayed for a coming king. Lord, send us a king. That is going to be what is most healthy for our people and in line with your will. You want us to be ruled by a king. Uh, Later in chapter 2, we saw Eli blow it. We saw his two sons blow it. And there was this desire that began like, it, within us, we wanted a faithful priest. Lord, your people, they need it. Will you provide it? Yes, yes, send a king, but we also need a priest. And then in chapter 3, there's this growing desire for this prophet. The best thing for God is raising up all these things, and all these things. These three roles are needed for the redemption and the saving of God's people. And if you fast- forward a few hundred years, you'll also come to a point at the end of the Old Testament, um, where there was 400 years of silence, or we could say, 400 years of rarity, and we weren't hearing from the word of the Lord. Can you imagine that 400 years? I know I said this a few months ago, but like, is our country even 400 years old? Right. Can you imagine the whole existence of America never hearing the words of God? Christ came. And He came in those three roles. He came as King. The book of Mark describes it. that He comes on the scene and He says, the Kingdom of God is at hand. In the book of John, he tells Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you. So he, in- he invites people as king into his kingdom. How do you get into his kingdom? Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He came as king. He came as our faithful priest through his sacrificial death on the cross. Instead of, of bringing um, an exterior like person, animal, something, He brought Himself and laid Himself on the altar by dying on the cross. And through His blood, if everyone believed in the whole world, there would be enough blood to cover your sins. They would be saved. And those people who believe, they would have a special, a meaningful relationship with the priest. Not one that's just like, yeah, 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 can you like sacrifice that cow for me and like deal with my sins for that day? But if I, if I sin the next day, I've got to wait another 300 some days for my sin to be atoned for again. Old Testament system. Now, in the New Testament, we can approach the throne of grace with what? Confidence. We can come to God, and we can identify Him because Hebrews 4 tells us that our God is, sent a son, Jesus, to be our great high priest, and he experienced everything and more that we go through. Every trial, every hardship, every physical, emotional, like spiritual kind of suffering. He was tempted in every way, but the great news is that he was without sin. And so in that way, he is like our healer, in this, which we can follow in after him and identify with him, because of the relatability of the tribulations, because he went through them. And so you can go to your priest and you can find a friend. King, priest, was our Lord trustworthy as prophet? Absolutely. Was his words? When they were weighed out, were we found wanting? Were we found wanting more? Or was His words valuable? Did He trim His sails in order to just gain a following? Or did He give the people at the time, did He give us the words that we needed for eternal life? Absolutely. Take a bullet for that one. But not only this, not only were His words true, but he actually became the word himself. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word what? That's right. It was was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, not anything made that was made. In him was life. And this life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it so church take heart god has not left his people without a king without a priest without a prophet we have it in our lord and savior jesus and so if you've been thankful for jesus and and you're at a point of worship and now you're like and so lord how how should i respond how should I respond to the word of God today? Like, why did you bring me here to church? Is it just to, like, hear a nice story about Samuel, um, eat a few donuts after church, and, like, be on my way back to work on Monday? Like, Lord, what would you have for me today? Is it just, oh, so we got Jesus now, so we're good then, right? If that's. The reaction if that's like our response as the people of God I would say there's this massive disconnect if our only reaction is what a great story so here's the question is the word of God rare today so I'm sure there's a number of ways that we could answer that um, one way is just to, if you could just take out your phone and scroll through the news, however you get your news, you would certainly say, I think, I think the Word of God is rare. Just polling on, on what I see from this past week. Um, here's me just gauging what uh, the world is going through this past week. Um, I'm sure many of you knew this, but it was banned books week. Um, so this is a time when they who is they? I don't know they decide which books we should be reading, and then they ban them. Um, the biggest thing that happened this week was they decided that in the public schools, parents should not be involved in the educational system at all. right? And so us as Christians, we should go, wait a second. Parents being involved in their kid's life is a biblical idea, <laughs> right? I think I've read that somewhere. You did, you did. Ephesians 6 says that parents are to teach their children in the Lord. They are about to instruct and to discipline their children in the way of the Lord. They're supposed to know what their kids are learning. And the way that our world is shaping and going, it is that the school holds the keys to the knowledge for their children. And you can keep secrets from... um, I remember Paul just this last week announced, hey, this is the role of our children's ministry. We want to come alongside you as parents because you guys are the primary disciplers and teachers. Which last week was like, cool. Now it's interpreted as counter-cultural in the world. Last week, the Miami Herald uh, called uh, the belief that a fetus is a human uh, called it a medieval superstition. So, a child in the womb—oh, that is—that's just old medieval like wives' tales. We we've gotten smarter now. That's what the Miami Herald is saying. Kentucky. Do uh, you know what? Um, the coaches of the women's sports are, are concerned about right now. This is according to U- USA Today, which is a, a great barometer of the moral climate. Have babies, you won championships. What are they saying? USA, is, USA Today is encouraging and uplifting this ideology that says the way to win championships, we've got to include the right for abortion we've got to kill children in order to get our championships church do you think that the word of god is rare in our nation yeah. me too to speak to you just pastorally i know even me like saying it with that tone might not even sit comfortably with you like oh where's the compassion pastor and if that like angst is in you it's because the word has been it's been so diminished and put down and the, the like the world has said this, and we've got to do this this and this and so murder is now acceptable don't speak against it and be nice so what do we do what do we do? Um, I believe just a great place to start is in our own hearts, right? The list is long. We could talk about how bad it is out there, um, but let's start with our own lives first. I think the question must be asked: the word of God. And I, in studying this passage, I had to come to some serious, like I had to come to some grips in my own life. Lord, do I treat your word like it's rare in my, in my heart and in my home? And the Lord is like, um, what Hannah and I are, are describing in our lives, what he's doing right now, is he's unearthing things. He's like taking a, a plow and, he's, and he's, he's raking it. And things are coming to the surface that we didn't realize are there. Hannah and I, we weren't like on the same page with everything this week. We were missing each other. At one point, I got on my knees and I repented to my wife and I asked her for forgiveness because I wasn't washing her with the Word of God, which is a husband's role in Ephesians 5. I was, I was coming home and I was washing her with grumbling and complaining. And her spirit was just weighed down and it was because of me. And I had to say, Hannah, please forgive me. Forgive me for washing you with, with just dirt and grime and mud instead of with this. And so the Lord's done a great work in my life. He's still working on me. I got a long way to go. But I, I, I'm, I'm more committed this week than I was last week to Jesus. That's not... Pat me on my back. That is that's the grace of God and his mercy. I would lead her by prayer that I would lead her with the word of God, that I would lead my family, not with a critical spirit, but with the Holy Spirit. That's me. In my home. We're gonna all just ask these questions. Do I do I live practically like the word of God is rare? I woke up the other day saying, Lord, there's my phone. There's your revealed word. (sighs) Okay. It's, it's, It's working in me, Lord. Forgive me for wanting to just check my text and my email first. Forgive me for treating your word as rare in my home. Would you help me? Would you pray about that this week? Would you look at how to raise the level of the Word in your home from rare to common. And this is all that the Lord would ask you. Not like like leaps and bounds and I've got to be like a 10 by the end of the... It's on Monday, how can I move the needle here? Lord, what are you calling me to do today here? This afternoon, like this. And the Lord would be so pleased and delighted to have his, his, his revealed Word move from rare to more common. That's in my heart, in our home. What about in our conversations? This is just the concentric circles moving outwards. Your conversations with those around you, your friends, your neighbors, your family, whatever. To have the words of the Lord move from rare to more common. Again, I was challenged by this this week and I was at the Y and I was lifting and I was talking to my buddy Jerry who works at the Y and he was telling me about this other guy who was on the bench and I need to be benching more. And so I was like talking to him and like getting some tips from this guy and and we, we started talking about him. He looked at us and I said, we're talking about you. We're talking about, oh, I can see that. I can see that. And I introduced myself, and he introduced, and we started having a conversation, and he, he talked about how he needs to like grow in the Lord more and how he's like wrestling with the fact of, of the speed of God and how he's slower that, than, than what he thought God would like be like in his life. And through me just initiating and trying to make the words of God a little bit more common in my life, and sharing it. And the words that I shared from the Word, I'm trusting are working in His life. Because that's how God works. Because faith comes through what? And hearing by the? By the Word. That's right. And it's not just this like popularity contest or me just trying to gather friends or something. It comes to us all. It is a matter of life and death. So would you this week, would you pray? Would you pray that that God would use his word in your life not only to transform you, but to use it to impact other people's lives, move from rare to common in our church and in our community? That's my prayer. That's my prayer for my life, for my family for my community. Would you join me? This task is awesome. It is a great delight and not a burden. Like, it should give you fire in your eyes and your like heart should be burning. The next step is to ask for help from Jesus. And that's why we're going to take communion. So if you have any um, insecurities any like confidence areas in your life that's faltering, praise the Lord, because you are a human and you are a Christian. Christian maturity is this. Not needing Jesus less. It's realizing that you need Jesus more. And so for the next moments, we're going to go to the Lord and we're going to say, Lord, would you use me? Lord, I'm going to approach you with confidence and I want to receive mercy and forgiveness. Not just so that I feel better about my life, but so that I can be restored back to you and I can be used so that your glory would be made known in this earth. So let's take some time. And I'll lead us through it. Would you bow your heads in prayer? Worship team, would you come up? Would you lead us? Father, we are so grateful that You have provided the path, not many paths, the path to eternal life, and that's through Your Son, Jesus. And we're so thankful and grateful that that same path that was brought to us at salvation is the same path where we grow in Christ, where we come to Him by grace, through faith, Lord, we want to walk by faith in our life. And so we need Your Son Jesus to work in us, to renew us, to bring um, things to mind that aren't pleasing. Would You restore us back to You through Your Son? We thank You for the bread. Remember what happens 2,000-some years ago, that Jesus, and He gave His life for us, and yet as He was on the cross, my sin, your sin, past, present, future, so that those who are found in Him know.